Prearranging the funeral, even if whether you pay for it or not, getting those facts down, making sure the family knows about that arrangement and where it is and where the documents are, puts everybody on the same page and, in fact, allows people to participate. And it actually can be a very sort of pre-grieving thing Mm -hmm. because when you start talking about it, it it brings up the emotions. You're scared about your parents dying or you're dying so that when it finally happens, you can really focus on grieving focus on that person's life and celebrating that life instead of all these details that have to do with planning a death. Welcome to Aging in Style with me, Lori Williams. I'm an optimist by nature, and I believe you can follow your dreams at any age. My grandmother's journey with dementia ignited a passion in me to work with seniors. I've spent the past 13 years learning about seniors and aging. In my mid-50s, I followed my own dream and founded my company, where I use my expertise to help seniors locate housing and resources. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of aging. Join us each week to meet senior living experts and inspirational seniors who are following their dreams. The fact is, we're all aging, so why not do it in style? Hi, welcome to today's episode of Aging in Style. Today, we are talking about making final plans and making pre-planning for funeral plans, that sort of thing. And it's a topic that we have not yet covered. We've talked a lot about other things like power of attorney, estate planning, all that sort of thing. So I think it's really important that we, we speak about this. So our guest today is Dean Lambert, and he's worked with funeral professionals for nearly 30 years to help with connecting and serving families facing one of the most challenging moments of their lives, the loss of a loved one. As a father who has himself experienced the loss of a child, he knows firsthand the grief that clouds the vision needed to honor a life well-lived. Dean is leading the Love Always Project with a team of experienced subject matter experts and people committed to its purpose, encouraging people to think more positively and proactively about end-of-life issues and funeral prearrangement. So welcome, Dean. Thank you very much. Appreciate the introduction, and it's great to be with you. Thank you. Well, why don't we kind of jump in and what is the Love Always Project? Let's talk about that. Well, we want to connect consumers with awareness, information, and access, especially around celebrating life, funeral planning, and paying for funerals in advance. You know, it's a topic that I think a lot of people are, you know, curious about. We've done some social listening and we know that that folks are out there almost voyeuristically looking uh, for information and things like that. And so what we decided to do was start this project where, you know, we would love, you know, most of the content to come from the community, people to post questions or talk about their experiences. And so it's really a grassroots effort to help folks talk about end of life, whether for a loved one or or for for themselves, especially funeral planning. Um, We did a lot of research to understand how to present this project. And people tend to think of planning in advance uh, as a gift. And so our our sort of uh, value proposition is it's your final gift to a family well-loved. And every single person is going to die. Different people feel a different kind of responsibility or a different trigger for doing it. What we want to do is we're putting the emphasis on uh, taking care of the people who are going to live on after a person dies. And we want to provide all the information that folks want, however they want to uh, take it, whether they just want to go to our website and read, uh, whether they would like to become a member, which really means just giving us your email address so that, that you have access to content. And, um, you know, we're just getting started. So we feel that as consumers engage, 
and we learn about what and the way they want to talk about it, we will um, respond with uh, in kind with content of all kinds so that they can go through whatever journey it is that they need to go through. And uh, of course, we want to make sure that we're providing connections between these consumers and service providers as best as we can. So uh, basically grassroots, we want ownership to be for the community that we're trying to build. And hopefully that will uh, allow people to plan a better farewell, benefiting those they love. And, um, you know, it's really, truly an altruistic uh, mission for us. That's wonderful. Um, Do you find that people are a little more open to talking about end-of-life plans? Or it seems like people for a while there, it was just like no one wanted to talk about it. So are they opening up a little more? Well, the interesting thing is that folks approach death, dying, planning for end of life differently. And it goes along all kinds of lines from economic strata and demographics to cultural demographics. There are some um, cultures that would never, ever think to put an elderly or ill family member in some kind of long-term care. Some cultures Mm -hmm. bring that family member in and take care of them. So it's cradle to grave. They look at it that it's their obligation to take care of that family member in any way they can. In the United States and in Western cultures, we tend to do it a little bit differently. Doesn't mean we don't care as much, but it means that we live a little bit differently and we have to accommodate those things. In terms of talking about it, if you were to, uh, if you were a fly on the wall as we were doing our social listening and some of the other research, you see that the some of the search terms that are going on and the things that people talk about, especially after, let's say, a Bob Saget passes away or COVID is happening and there are a lot of deaths going on. Certainly what's happening in, in the Balkans right now in Russia and Ukraine, people are actually seeing life and death happen. You see spikes in that. But the interesting thing is the way people bring it up. And truly, there's not one way to do it. So they are talking about it. But I think that podcasts like you, your organization and and the Love Always Project can help be a guide and steer people to have healthy and productive discussions instead of these meandering wonder if, is it funny? Can I handle it with humor? Do we even talk about it at all? So, you know, it's great to just make sure that people know that they have permission to talk about it and that if they are already talking about it, they're doing something right and good. And just, you know, letting people have a channel to explore those things and then provide them the guidance to do the things they want to do about end of life planning or, or death. Sometimes that's nothing right now. And sometimes that's having something in your hip pocket. So when you really feel that sense of mortality or something happens, usually after somebody close dies, you have the resources to do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. I would say most of the seniors that I work with, the ones who are, I would say, 70s, late 70s and up, they seem to have done some pre-planning for their funeral. They have it planned out. And it, you know, probably because they're getting older and it's more inevitable, you know, that they decide to do that planning. Do you find that's the case that the older people are pre-planning? Yes, the most likely prearrangers. So we we've also done some research with people who have planned and purchased their funerals in advance. And the, the ones that are sort of in market and most likely to do it are those between, you know, uh, late, late 60s and 70s, 74, like that. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, as you said, sense of mortality, you know, but many, many of these people are not doing it proactively. They're doing it because they have to, because of uh, they're going into long-term care or a nursing home. And that requires uh, certain things to be done with your assets before you go in. I don't know if you've ever heard of Medicaid spend down. Yeah, absolutely. A funded funeral 
qualifies as a way to protect assets. And so uh, we find that a lot of people are doing it at that time. But certainly uh, the trigger, the main trigger that people say is that they decide that they want to plan following the death of somebody close. That's the trigger. That's when they start thinking about their own mortality, especially if they're close in age. So yes, I would agree with you that that the older folks um, are the ones doing it. It's unfortunate, though, that they're not being proactive. It's more reactive. And mm-hmm. sometimes the decisions that need to be made to plan a, a celebration that considers what your survivors really want, you don't have the time to do that. I've got to spend down my assets or I've got a diagnosis. And there's all kinds of things going on in your mind, not thinking about an orderly, thoughtful you know, mm-hmm. way to plan what your send off should be. Yeah, absolutely. And even though, I mean, it is a topic that's kind of hard to bring up when you're younger. And I can say from my experience, my dad died at 50 and it was unexpected. And so it was very emotional, of course. And then we were kind of scrambling to figure out paying for this funeral, what he would like, pulling it all together. And that's why, I mean, I agree with the term that it's a gift for your family. If you have it all planned out, you're, what you want is known. Like, do you want to be cremated? You know, do you want to be buried? What, what do you want? Because that's, that's a big decision to have to make for someone if you've never had that conversation. It really is. And the other thing that goes along with that is the whole family dynamic. Uh, my wife's father recently passed. We had begun the talks with them about um, you know prearranging and planning. But the reason we started talking about it was because my wife's brother, uh, his father-in-law passed away. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife were responsible for planning all of their stuff. And they were a bit of hoarders. Uh, he had some mental issues, his, his father-in-law, and they hadn't paid bills. They had checks that had been written and not mailed. And it was a real mess. And so since my mother-in-law kind of knew that was going on, we began to talk about those things months ago and really didn't have a sense of urgency. We were trying to kind of like just tap the gas a little bit. And it really emphasized to us the importance of when you get the opportunity that you need to find a way to um, do it full on. And there are a host of ways that we can cover in a little bit on getting started with talking to your, your, especially your elderly or ill parents, but it really is a much better experience. You were talking about the cremation decision versus um, burial, which you can bury cremated remains. It's just a matter of whether you want to be cremated at all. You know, working with the funeral homes and being in uh, arrangement conferences, it's amazing where, you know, where the kids are scattered, right? The grown kids, they come back and there's always one that was stayed in town or more, but there's one that's a caretaker, right? Mm-hmm. And so they've been through everything with the parent and talked about some of these things. And so they get together to plan the funeral that wasn't planned in advance, but the person that was the caretaker says, okay, well, here's the things that dad and I talked about, or mom and I talked about. Uh, he, he wants to do cremation. And then the kid that moved to Michigan from wherever came back in town because the parent died, says cremation. No way. I would never do that to dad. Well, dad said that's what he wanted. And all of a sudden you've got this point of conflict. And sometimes that conflict puts a giant wedge in families that lasts for years after that, because everybody knows you have one chance to do it right. So if you cremate a person before they have a chance to have a viewing or things like that, which sometimes happens, you know, it can cause rifts in families. The opposite happens when you are able to communicate and talk about these things well in advance. And that way, everybody's on the same page. So prearranging the funeral, even if whether you pay for it or not, getting those facts down, making sure the family knows about that arrangement and where it is and where the documents are, puts everybody on the same page and in fact, allows people to participate. And it actually can be a very sort of pre-grieving 
thing, Mm -hmm. because when you start talking about it, it brings up the emotions. You're scared about your parents dying or you're dying so that when it finally happens, you can really focus on grieving, focus on that person's life and celebrating that life instead of all these details that have to do with planning a death. And uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, my son passing away. You know, I've been in this business working with funeral homes for 30 years. And there was a point during the planning process, we knew some things. He was in the Marine Corps. So he told us he wanted to be cremated. He told us what his religious preference and everything. But when we went through the whole planning process, there was one point in time that I really, it really, it hit me that he was gone. And it was a point where if the funeral director hadn't taken me through this process, my wife and I, and mentioned this one specific thing that there's no way I thought I would have ever forgotten it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad he brought this up because I would have forgotten it. And that's the moment where you realize how hard it is, how, how much you realize your brain is just not functioning um, with uh, any death, much less something you didn't expect. So this, this prearrangement thing and, and funeral planning and making sure you celebrate a life is not just some marketing thing that funeral homes talk about. It really is something so the person has a quality life after this person that was in their life for their whole life is gone. And yeah. that's the key. Absolutely. And, and you're so right, because when you're in the middle of planning a funeral for someone, you're not completely in your, I don't want to say right mind, but you're just so like, it, the grief has taken over and you're not thinking of certain things that maybe they mentioned to you, but you don't remember. But so to have it all in a plan, have it already arranged, makes it so much simpler, takes the stress off. And as you said, you can really focus more on celebrating the person, celebrating their life. A lot of times you'll talk to a parent and they'll say, I ah, just put me in a box and don't spend a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And of course, that's their perspective, but it's really a defense mechanism. Uh, it's, it's a pushback to even talking about their end of life. Mm-hmm. And so there's a variety of ways you can get around that. But the fact of the matter is, is that even the folks that when push comes to shove, what would they do for their loved one? You know, dad may say, just put me in a box. But what if his dad, you know, passed? Would he do the same thing? What would he want? Or yeah. the daughter won't. Mm-hmm. And so um, there has to be a way to break through some of that sort of natural defense mechanism. And, and again, it's really all about communication and not starting to talk about death, but asking questions about their lives. And they could be very simple questions. They could be, how long did you, mom, you and mom date before you got married? Or you were in the National Guard. Did you, I mean, what did you do in the National Guard? How long were you in the National Guard? And then, you know, you always get the question, why are you asking me this stuff? I don't know. I, I, you know, as I get older, I'm thinking about those things about my, my own life and what I want to talk to my kids about. And I realized, you know, you and I haven't had that discussion. And all of a sudden you can break down barriers and, you, and then the topic of end of life or feeling one's mortality is there. And then you can kind of slide into saying, you know, you know, now that we're thinking about this, uh, you know, Jill and I were planning on actually planning our own funeral, you know, so, you know, I know we're kind of young for that, but I mean, have you ever given that any thought? You know, maybe we can do that together. So it, it becomes easier if you could just get the courage to approach mm-hmm. it in a way that's very positive and conversational. And, um, you know, thankfully, you don't have to practice it. But, you know, it's yeah. a great way to learn about your parents' lives and have them learn a little more about you. And at the same time, educating yourself on the type of um, send off that you'd want to give and the types of things that your father, mother, or siblings want to be remembered for. So you can mm-hmm. plan something that's really meaningful for everybody who attends that funeral. Exactly. And you're learning some things maybe you didn't know because you're not going to have the chance to go back and ask that after they pass. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what does a pre-planning look like when you sit down with someone to pre-plan? Because I know you said that you could either, you know, it could be paid for already mm-hmm. in advance or just pre-planning done. So how does that look? Well, you know, there's different journeys for different people. And I think there's a lot more people that are um, that are uh, going online to learn a little bit more about that. Obviously, the people at the funeral home are the most experienced at doing that. They're uniquely qualified because it's just what they do every day. Um, planning a funeral in advance doesn't look a whole lot different than planning it when there's an immediate need. You still have all these steps you have to go through and all these things you have to plan. It's just you're doing it in a way that, you know, you're under less duress. You know, I, I won't say you're not under any duress because you're talking about your own death or the death mm-hmm. of somebody close. So, you know, that brings up any all kinds of possible memories and things like that. But you 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 are taking care of it. So the process is, you know, sitting down with somebody, you know, a, 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 an arrangement professional, a, a celebrant, they sometimes call them or just your local funeral director and talking about the things uh, first. How do you want to be remembered? What kinds of things do you see happening at the funeral and kind of just choosing things and getting the specifics down? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to have a visitation? Where is this going to take place? Would you like to do it at a funeral home, a park, your church? Who's going to be the officiant? So there's there's a process that the funeral director or the prearranger will take you through. At the end of the day, you can choose to pay for it or not. And um, there are a variety of ways that one can do that. You can set aside your own funds in you know some sort of a savings. There are trust products in certain states and that other that companies offer. There are insurance products. You've seen the commercials on television for final expense insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there are products that uh, funeral directors offer that can um, help offset inflation to where you put it in, a, in an insurance product that actually um, grows over time to help offset inflation. And in some cases, in many states or most states, uh, and in some states, it's required that if you do set aside funds and using an, a certain product, that uh, the funeral has a contract and then the insurance policy comes together so that the funeral director guarantees that they will take whatever the insurance benefit is to pay for the funeral, however long in the future you live. And so that's one good way of doing it. And it's just preference. You know, there are people who advocate against setting the money aside. Certainly there are demographics of people, folks who um, have uh, higher degrees of education or folks who have um, uh, more wealth tend to say, I'll have the money. I'm not worried about it. But, you know, again, then you're paying, you know, the cost at the time you die. And then there's those folks that want to prearrange and set the money aside because they believe that's a good value. So without getting into too many specifics, you know, your local funeral director or arranger can talk you through all of those ways. The most important thing to remember is to get it down and to talk about it with your family and friends. And once you have that plan, just like an advanced directive or a will or, or a trust, you want your family to know that you have it and where it is. Because the funeral director at the time of death is going to need all those things. Was your father in the military? Do you have the form DD-214? What were their awards? All that is on the DD-214. For us civilian types, do you have a trust? Do you have insurance to pay for the funeral? How will you be paying for the funeral? Funeral directors in business too, they to um, make sure they cover their costs and make a little profit like everybody else. And honestly, being a funeral director is, uh, is a very important job. It's something that people don't want to do. 
and uh, they don't want to think of doing. And so thank God there are people out there that dedicate their lives to taking care of families at that time. So mm-hmm. just there's there's a variety. And, and what the Love Always Project is about is making sure that people are aware that uh, pre-planning, advanced funeral planning, pre-arranging, whatever the word you use is, is available. How do you get started? Most of the pre-planners that we have researched, nearly a half, say that that they learned about it from somebody else. And so um, that correlates to another stat that uh, 43% of pre-arrangers have recommended to somebody else that they do it within a month. I mean, if I was a retailer, a service provider or whatever, thinking about what Malcolm Gladwell says about mavens and, and your best customers proactively promote your products and services, 43% within a month of doing their pre-arrangements have told somebody else they should do it. Not that I did it, they recommend it. And then another 15% plan to do it. And another 40% say they would consider doing it. So the, the biggest issue is that people just don't know how to get started. Once they do it, there's all kinds of reasons why they feel satisfied with the decision. Mm-hmm. And so at our project, we just want to make sure that people have access to information, um, access to resources, and to be as sort of not one-sided. We, want, we don't want to uh, t- push people towards one way of, of disposition like cremation. We don't want to advocate one over the other. We don't necessarily want to advocate for one way of funding a funeral in advance, But the main thing we want people to do is to try and have a healthy discussion about it before it becomes something you have to do reactively because it's never, it's never a good turnout. No, no, it's not. Um, Just a question because it seems like the more, I mean, I've been to several funerals here recently, unfortunately, but cremation seems to be the big thing now, or do you see more cremations than burials? Yes. Uh, actually, according to the National Funeral Directors Association and the Cremation Association of North America, we're, uh, I think, right around 60%. I think, personally, being in the business as long as I have, you saw it growing, growing, growing ever since the mid-90s. It spiked after probably 2010 for a lot of reasons. You know, folks choose cremation. I think the prevailing thought is that it's because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case, although it can be the case in some markets. But I think that uh, with folks not sure where they're going to end up for retirement, I may not stay in Iowa the rest of my life. And, you know, what do you do, right? Once you bury somebody, they're there for good, unless you disinter them and move them somewhere else. Um, And I think that people choose cremation because it provides them with a lot of uh, options. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing a a necklace right now that has some of my son's cremated remains in it, you know, so I take him everywhere, every experience I have. You know, if you're, if you're not sure, let's say you're the surviving widow of of somebody who died, you may not know where you're going to end up either. You may move in with a, a, one of your grown children in another state, or you may move with your friends to Boca or Arizona. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to take those remains with you and uh, decide later on if I want to go home and be buried in a family section of the cemetery, or if I want to be buried where I now live. You can bury cremated remains, or you could, you don't have to, you can have them, you know, with you all for always. Mm-hmm. The, the, then the question is, is when both of those people die and if they're both cremated, what do you do with the remains after that? So again, it takes careful planning and thought to know what to do. But to answer your question succinctly, yes, cremation is often more preferred. And it doesn't necessarily mean that people are preferring cremation over having some sort of memorial service. That's another misconception. While many people do choose a direct cremation where they're just not sure what they want to do or the family can't come in, so they hold the cremated remains until maybe the summer, 
Uh, unfortunately, we've, we had another death in the family uh, right after New Year's. Young 30-year-old man just died in his sleep. And so uh, he was in New York and his family is in Minneapolis. And um, the remains are ready to uh, be brought back to Minneapolis for a giant celebration that's happening in July. So again, you tend to have some some um, options for flexibility. And uh, again, we want the Love Always Project and we want to hopefully influence other organizations such as yours, other podcasts, so that we can all raise up the awareness and let people know that there are so many ways that you can do the details uh, of the death, um, and but even more ways that you can uh, make sure that people have a better farewell. Um, and again, the better farewell is really for the family that's left Absolutely. behind. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And remembering that person that they love so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a kind of a hard question because I, I, it's probably different state to state, but people always talk about how expensive it is. How much like on average to have a funeral? Is there an, I, I know there's different ways of doing it, but is sure. there an average cost that people should be aware of to kind of plan for? Yeah, so I can tell you that nationally, our the pre-arrangers that we survey, when we look at their policy sizes or their their funeral sizes, uh, they tend to be around between fifty five hundred and six thousand dollars, and that's with probably a fifty five percent cremation involved funeral. So that tells you that there's an average, say, in the Midwest, Ohio, Iowa, some of those states, uh, some of the states where you have a lot of like Catholics Mm -hmm. tend to, while it's not prohibited by uh, the Catholic face to cremate, they were a little bit late to, you know, help the curve go up. And they tend to have, you know, what we call a full couch casket, which is one top that opens up instead of the two that, you know, break. And those can tend to be more expensive. So there are certain areas in the country and certain types of cohorts, I guess, that will spend, you know, eight to 10 or more thousand dollars on a funeral. Then you've got the states like Hawaii, Colorado, California, where cremation is, you know, very, very high, you know, in the 80% or higher. I hate quoting stats off the top of my head because yeah. I'm not, <laughs> but, I, but they are very high. Hawaii's like, you know, they're very high. They don't have space, you know. Yeah. And those tend to average for us anyway, on the group that we research around 32 to $3,500. And so that's where we get that 55 to $6,000 range. Again, it's certainly influenced by the amount of service that you want. I think one of the things you'll find back when I started with working with funeral directors, they placed a lot more of the pricing on the merchandise. Caskets were marked up a little bit more, the burial vaults and all the thing, all the hard sort of uh, goods. And in recent years, uh, the funeral directors, again, I've spoken in a lot of uh, funeral director conventions and meetings and said, guys, the important thing that people want to do is they want to pay you for what they can't or don't want to do, what you're uniquely qualified to do. And in the late 90s and 2000s, you started seeing caskets pop up at Costco and Walmart and things like mm-hmm. that. And so people, that does, that's not prohibited by law that, that you can, that person can say, use my casket. And so funeral directors began to realize that what they really should be putting the emphasis on is the services that they provide because people can buy merchandise. I mean, I didn't buy my necklace uh, from a funeral director. I bought it online. I think I got it on Amazon, you know, and it was just because I didn't really 
feel like going back to the funeral director after the case and, and buying something. Mm-hmm. I just, it was, I was up one night and said, I want this and I just did it. Right. And we know that that's possible now. So, yeah. but it just, it really just depends on um, the person and their religious beliefs on how big a deal they want to make it. And again, it's just, you get one shot to, to do this for a family member. And so that's why it, it needs to be well thought. Uh, my father-in-law's funeral was probably in the $12,000 range. And I'll be honest with you, as uh, they went through the process, all the kids were there, grown kids, with my mother-in-law. Uh, my mother-in-law chose a, a beautiful casket that really was fitting for my father-in-law. But of course, when I saw it, I was like, you know, that was probably the second most expensive casket that she could have chosen. And that was okay because that she was inspired in the moment mm-hmm. when she got home and she looked at what she had, you know, committed to. She said, "Wow, that's that's really a lot," uh, but you know what? He's worth it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And that's okay. She didn't have, you know, she had a moment of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. and it didn't make her experience any worse. And she felt good about what she, what she had done for him. But I wonder if she uh, had done it in advance and maybe talked about it to her husband, that maybe they would have made a choice that was different. Just mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Instead of that emotional, because you're you know, yeah. all in your emotions at that point. And, yeah. you know, she may have thought he deserves the best. Let's get him this one, you know, whereas or maybe... Or you're not thinking. Yeah. Yeah, You're not thinking about when they show you the options, you're not focused on the price. I mean, that, that detail goes Mm -hmm. away. What you're focused on is what one looks, which one appeals to you more. Mm -hmm. And um, again, this is not negative. It's not negative about, you know, the funeral planning process or the funeral profession or whatever. We're not trying to take power away from these people who serve us so well. What we're trying to do is harness the power of consumers. They already have access to information, but often they don't know what they don't know. So they're just blindly trying to find things out. And if we can provide them information in a way that educates them, not only on the things they want to know, but tells them things they should know that they might not have ever thought of, then they can go to the funeral home and decide to buy something more expensive than they thought or have a a memorial that was different than they thought. But it just prepares them better for that moment where there's a death that happened and you're not having to make those choices. Yeah. So they're just a better educated consumer because you would research buying a car, doing whatever, but when it comes to this, you know, most of the time it's it's an emotional, I've got to get this done. I don't I've never even thought about it before because most right. people don't think about how much does a funeral cost? How much does a coffin, you know, what do I need? So right. and a lot um, of times it's yeah. how much should it cost? What should I yeah. spend? What's the yeah. right thing? It's like funeral etiquette. What do you say to somebody <laughs> at a visitation or whatever? Well, the same sort of uncomfortableness, the same sort of confusion happens about just like a wedding. You know, my daughter's getting married in October and she was getting married in one part of the country, it'd be less expensive than the other part of the country. But the fact is, is that she thinks she knows what she wants and she has somebody to guide her through that. It's a life event. You get one shot at it, hopefully. And the same thing with a funeral or anything else. And the more information you have, the more comfortable you can feel when you're presented with options you didn't think about. Mm-hmm. That makes and the perfect more proactive, sense. Right. The more yeah. proactive you are, the better uh, chance you have to protect yourself, um, not against the big bad salesperson, mm-hmm. but against your, yourself, mm-hmm. your own emotions about, gosh, you know, I'm not sure what dad would have wanted, but it's not that. So we better do this. And the this could be a lot more expensive. So exactly. So how can people find out more about the Love Always Project? How can they well, find you? 
Yeah. So the best thing to do is to go online to lovealwaysproject.org. We are also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And the one thing I would encourage people to do is we're not a organization that's, that wants to aggregate addresses and advertise and sell to them. This is definitely a two-way relationship. We want to build a community and we're just getting started. So when you go to the website, there's lots and lots of great content out there. They can sign up for emails or alerts to when a blog is released, you know, all the, the traditional stuff. And then as the relationship grows, we're going to continue to be adding content and opportunities, uh, partnering with, you know, organizations like yours that are putting out great content and sharing that content and then uh, pointing them to, to resources. So when they want to act, they can act. One of the features we were talking about this morning is to make sure that we have on the website a forum or a group so that people can participate and talk about their own experiences. Almost like if you're an Apple user, you know, a lot of the customer support is a user community. Mm-hmm. So you type in a question and, and it may be a question that somebody already asked and there's lots of answers. So we'd like to build that. Mm-hmm. We, we, we want you to be involved in our Facebook page and Instagram, share stories, talk about questions you have or, or what you might be uncomfortable with. And that way we have mostly user-centered content with a mix of expert, you know, subject matter experts. And so we want consumers to own this. That's why we call it a project. That's why we call it a grassroots effort uh, because that's who it's all about. It's about the people that, you know, want to remember well their loved ones and design a better farewell that benefits those loved ones. I think it's a great mission. I love what you're doing. And I think it's so important to make it easy for people to talk about this. And I think calling it the Love Always Project makes it easier than, you know, just funeral planning. <laughs> so, yeah, it is like so a love like letter. The, yeah. yeah. The, the research that we did, that that really resonated with folks. We kept hearing the words, that it's a love loving thing to do. And so that's kind of why we uh, went with that. And then of course, project means it's an ongoing, constantly evolving thing that we hope is enriched by the community that we attract. Oh, I think um, I think you're onto something really good here, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing Thank with you. us. Thank you so much. We will put the link to Love Always Project also on our. We'll put it on my website, which is lauriewilliams-seniorservices.com, and then we'll have the link to the podcast there and all the information so that you can contact Dean and learn more about the Love Always Project. Thanks so for thank- having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. 